Nobody Talks, before this episode begins, I just wanted to let you know that there is a special announcement at the end of the episode that I want you to be a part of, and it's fun and cool, and I don't want you to miss out. So make sure you're paying attention and you're still listening at the end of the episode. All right, on with the pod. From WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 64, all about the scouring of the Shire, chapter 8, book 6 of Return of the King, being the 64th part of That's What I'm Talking About. Are you ever like, you start words and you don't know how the words are coming out of your mouth, but they do? That's what happened when I was trying to remember what the word 64th was. Hello, my name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Luke and James of Ink to Film. Welcome! Hello, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I um, stumbled across y'all's podcast on Spotify, I think, one day, and I was like, ink to film. That's like literally perfect for Lord of the Rings and, you know, chapter discussion and and everything. And I was like, I hope that they're book fans as well as movie fans. And turns out you guys are. So why don't you guys tell me a little bit about how you got into Lord of the Rings? Absolutely. I mean, on our podcast, I think we did 12 episodes, nine on the books, three on the movies, which I know you're going to do far more than that with the way you're covering it, but um, we felt like that was a lot. It's one of our biggest projects we've we've tackled so far. You know, we had a lot of fun covering Lord of the Rings for sure, so I'm excited to get back into it. As for my experience with Lord of the Rings, for me, it all started with The Hobbit, um, the animated movie. I don't know if you are familiar with this oh, at all. love it, love it. <laughs> it was my, it was like, you know, like everybody has a movie as a kid that they watch over and over and over again and drives their parents insane. That was my movie. It was on VHS, watched it over and over again until it wore out and literally stopped working. <laughs> I ended up reading the book for The Hobbit, fell in love with that. But then I never really got into Lord of the Rings. Um, I It was like a little bit outside of my scope when I was young. And then when I got old enough to where I could have read it, I was instead reading like Dragonlance and stuff. And I had kind of changed what kind of fantasy I enjoyed. I was looking for like really high octane <laughs> adventure stuff. And Lord of the Rings isn't really that. Um, so weirdly, I, I kind of didn't read the books until after like the films came out and then we decided to tackle it for the podcast. I just want to say right, right off the bat, I, I'm pretty sure in our Lord of the Rings coverage somewhere, we say, we're sorry to, to people listening. We not, might not be able to hit on every detail because we're not going chapter by chapter, but we're sure that there's <laughs> podcasts out there that do do that. And so it's so funny that you reached out to us and that's exactly what you're doing. I, I really like the format of the show and it's, it's really in- going to be interesting to hear your reaction to finishing it because you're very close. I know. Um, oh my God. Like, I think as soon as we finish recording, I'm going to read the next chapter, which is the last chapter. So as far as my experience, um, mostly because I was looking for other fantasy books like Harry Potter, massive Harry Potter fan growing up, I found The Hobbit and I read it sometime around the release of the the first film of Fellowship. And then after Fellowship came out, I read Two Towers and Return of the King and then watched the movies as they came out. But the thing that I'm more familiar with of this material is definitely the movies. But, you know, for I have read multiple times through all three. And more recently, Return of the King, we just finished back in, I think, March. So... It's definitely like like especially approaching this chapter. It's it's very much informed by like what happens in the film. But I will do my best not to spoil anything from the film for you because I can't wait to hear your reaction on that as well. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see what happens with with this chapter in the movie because like a lot happens and this is definitely it. This chapter felt like it easily could have been its own book or something. It's like an entire subplot side story that is like really exciting and there are twists and turns and highs and lows throughout all of it and I'm like this is just one chapter what the heck and (laughs) 
And it's also weird because I've said it before, but ever since they destroyed the ring, the chapters that have happened afterwards, it almost doesn't feel like Lord of the Rings to me anymore. And it just it feels like I'm in a weird no man's land of of Tolkien. And Mm. they're just like doing their it it kind of feels like fan fiction almost, I'll be (laughs) honest. (laughs) And because... Uh, Tolkien clearly wanted us to spend a lot more time with these characters before we said goodbye to them. And that's kind of the purpose of a lot of fan fiction is when you, you know, a story ends, but you want to spend more time with the characters anyway. And people write their own stories about what happens to them after, you know, they win the battle and everything. And Tolkien did not disappoint. He did not hold back on letting us know what happened to these guys after Mm -hmm. the ring was destroyed. I think Tolkien does get a bad rap for that a little bit too. I think people, people think of the, and they think of this story and they think, God, there's so many endings. It ends so many times. There's so many moments of climax that like the the book should have ended here. It should have ended here. But I I like what you said about how this is almost like an encapsulated story in itself. It's got the trimmings of a beginning, middle and end. And I like how it shows the growth of the characters. You know, this was his like and it makes me think about something else is Tolkien. We've we've talked about on our podcast how Tolkien, you know, created this world out of wanting to create a language. So he's like this linguist. And so, you know, the idea that he's not so much interested in the moment that the ring is destroyed and ending the story there and wanting to spend more time in this, you know, pastoral area and showing the characters arcs. This is such an interesting chapter to me. Well, he also is, I think he's talked about how he was really into the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell kind of idea of storytelling And wrapped up in there is this idea of like ring theory and storytelling. And um, there's a lot of circling back. So you get sort of like, uh, I think in the last episode with your other guests, you mentioned how you were sort of saying goodbye to people in the order in which you had introduced them. Mm -hmm. So there's a symmetry there that I think he's playing with. And this is the chapter, in my opinion, that addresses the Shire and like Hobbiton as a place. And um, it's sort of the wrapping up of that story. Um, as we're circling back and sort of peeling away the layers all the way back to the final layer, which you'll get into next chapter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so this is chapter eight, the scouring of the Shire. And yeah, like I said, it it honestly, to me, reads like a short story that Tolkien wrote kind of on his own, maybe not even within Lord of the Rings in mind yet. I don't know. I mean, that's probably not how it happened. But like, it's a lot of adventure, let's say. So so I guess we'll just jump right in. So mm-hmm. uh, what are all their names? Good Lord. Mary, <laughs> Pippin, Frodo, and Sam all arrive back to the Shire. Except things are not how they left them, unfortunately. And they notice right away that there are these very unshire-like, is the word Tolkien uses, buildings. They're two-storied with narrow, straight-sided windows, bare and dimly lit, all very gloomy. And there are all these kinds of houses and buildings that have popped up since they left. And they get to, um, I guess, one of the outer towns of the Shire, and it's been gated off. And they're like, hey, you're not allowed to come in after dark. Can't you read the notice? And Sam is so sassy in this chapter. (laughs) I love it. And it really must be talking about like character change and character growth and stuff. 
it must be like really shocking for all of the hobbits that they, you know, were friends with, you know, friends and family with that they left behind and are now returning to that they come back and like Merry and Pippin are it makes a comment that like Merry and Pippin are much bigger and stronger than mm-hmm. typical hobbits. They've been drinking that entwash. Entwash yeah, extreme. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> Sam is being super confident and sassy and Frodo's really confident. And it's just like weird probably for them to be like, what do you, what, who, you're not hobbits. Hobbits don't act like this. We mentioned on our, our coverage that uh, it's, it's kind of like if you play D&D and you're you're like level 20 now and you come back home to where you started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've been through all these adventures and they're like, we're not afraid of you. Come on. Like all these, you know, low yeah, level and I thugs. love contrasting like Sauron and the ring and like pure evil with like the goings on of a town. And like, you know, they are at a disadvantage because they're they're hobbits against men in, in some instances. But just the idea of like going from that large of scale to this small of scale conflict is I don't know. It, it, it leads to it shows our characters like I said, it shows their growth, but it also shows like how capable they are now, how they become leaders without even really realizing it. You know, like they weren't necessarily leaders during the War of the Ring, they're, but they, they've like taken those skills home with them. Yeah. There's a really interesting confluence of the story structure and sort of thematic elements going on here too, because with the idea of the story structure of the hero's journey, it's all about the hero returning home changed from his adventures and or their adventures. And that's what we're seeing here in these hobbits. Oh, yeah. But the uh-huh. themes of the story rely heavily on the idea of like industrial, you know, coming oh in, gosh, the industrial yes. revolution coming in and changing all the old ways and destroying the forest and all the black smoke and all this stuff. And like that's come home to the Shire. So they're changed, but their home is also changed. They're returning home too. Um, and there, I don't know, there's just like some interesting yeah. plays of those two things against each yeah, other. Yeah, it's like, it's been a year since they left, but truly nothing is the same anymore. They're not the same, and the place that they're returning to isn't the same. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, I think I used the phrase post-war industrialization like five mm-hmm. times when I was writing my notes, because... <laughs> This chapter is a huge commentary on exactly that, on like, return yeah. because Tol- Tolkien apparently loved to say that his books weren't based on his experiences in the war. But mm-hmm. like, yep, yep. I will <laughs> How, yeah. sell my left hand to Satan if <laughs> that's like not true at all. I, I just don't know. Yeah, it can't it can't not be influenced by it. You see you see it in, in like the idea of England in post-war post-World War Two is it's like the parallels are there whether you know he i think he eventually did you know because famously he dislikes allegory but i think he did go on to sort of say an author you know can't escape but being influenced by some goings on of the time and this is clearly that um yeah and and it's i i really personally i don't think it takes away from it It, i think if anything it kind of has more meaning in that way oh a hundred yeah i i totally agree i think it adds a lot to it that it it wasn't just him like harumphing about industrialization and pollution or or whatever it was him Mm -hmm. like coming from an actual place of of real life experience so yeah so sam they they're like can't you read the notice we're not allowed to let people in after sundown and sam says it's dark outside so i can't read anything but if i do find (laughs) it i'm gonna rip it down there's like a lot of back and forth and they're like who's that and it's like i'm mary who are you i'm hob who are you they eventually learn that there is someone who they call the chief up at bag end 
who is Mr. Lotho uh, or Lotho. I, I have oh, no yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Perfect. As long as we're all on the same page, because... We always mispronounce fictional characters' names great, wrong. Great, great. Because ongoing. my worst... The, the <laughs> last thing I want to happen is I spend like the entire chapter being like, oh, yeah, um, Frodo and his friends, you know, and then we get to the end and then the guest is like, oh, by the way, it's pronounced Frodo. And I'm like, why didn't you say something? Um, okay, but as long as we're all on the same page great perfect so yeah uh, lotho or lotho pimple mm-hmm. as they call him and i spent a while on this chapter being like are we supposed is this someone because tolkien does this all the time where he'll introduce you to a character for example as he did with this character in the beginning of fellowship and then he'll expect you to remember it throughout the entire time so i spent the whole time being like do we know this person already is this someone new that we haven't encountered come to find out it's lobelia saxville baggins son i will say the entire time throughout this chapter before i made that connection eventually um, I was like, are we sure the chief isn't a Saxville Baggins? Because this has them <laughs> written all over it. Like, this really feels like they're kind of a, a vibe. So <laughs> I was like, I knew it. I knew it. It definitely did not seem right with me that it was not a Saxville Baggins. <laughs> but he has apparently, like, taken over everything. And there are all of these rules. And eventually, Mary and Pippin, they climb the gates and jump over. And then they, oh, they find Bill Fernie. Bill Fernie (laughs) is there as he like runs away, as Mary and Pippin kind of run him off. Bill the Pony kicks him in the head. Honestly, amazing <laughs> moment. Like the Bill the Pony getting getting a last minute kick in the head in is, is hero a of great the story. Moment. Truly, yeah. truly. They get inside, and so they they start talking about all these rules and regulations and things that have come up, and come to find out that there is basically no food. The food and everything that they have been growing, or you know you know, storing for themselves has been taken from them, essentially. Also, there's no pipe weed. And that's when I was like, (laughs) oh, no, (laughs) things have really gone downhill in the Shire in the last year. And they kind of have to force their way into letting someone stay with them for the night. And Sam kind of wraps up this whole discovery that they found very nicely. He says, no welcome, no beer, no smoke, and a lot of rules and orc talk instead. I hope to have a rest, but I can see there's work and trouble ahead. And that's to say the least, I should say. But yeah, there's there's trouble afoot. They refer to... So there are these like orc... Are they... Are they actually orcs or are they just like orc-like creatures that Unclear. Saruman breeded? Yeah, there, there was a mention of a half-orc at one point, um, but I don't know if that's literal or not, or just like they're like orcs, so he's calling them half-orcs. Yeah, that's kind of what I... Okay, cool. I was I was like, I don't know if these are like actually some kind of, you know, orc-ish breed or if they're just using this as a comparison to like insult these men mm. who have come in and wreaked havoc on on the Shire and the hobbits there. I will just say, whenever we start getting into the the orcs, are they orcs, are they men uh, comparisons, I I just feel like we're, we're touching on some problematic areas in Tolkien's writing. <laughs> I know there's a lot that's been <laughs> oh, written about this. And yeah. uh, it's, a little, it's a little tricky <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> Let's yeah. just take it at face value. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they get up the next day and start traveling through the land, making their way towards Hobbiton. And it says, The land looked rather sad and forlorn. Still, there seemed an unusual amount of burning going on, and smoke rose from many points roundabout. So, yeah. Let me just say, I'm I'm coming to you from the West Coast right now, so smoke-filled air is... uh... It's a very real thing. I am basically in Mordor. You know? Oh my gosh, yeah. Very <laughs> down true. trying to avoid breathing the poisonous and air. And there's um actually we're going to encounter them now. I was going to say there so that is vi- that element is very timely and relevant or mm. that ele- what did I even just say? What words just came <laughs> out of my mouth? That element is very timely and relevant. <laughs> and mm. then they run into the crossroads where they meet the Shire PD, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, defund the police. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, man. Did you see that? There's a tweet about that. Wait, was there I brought really? It. I, I brought it to share. Oh, um, but this was by a user at SJMMCD. And he said, a reminder that after he returned from destroying the ring, Frodo temporarily served as deputy mayor of the Shire, and his sole act was to defund the police. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Yeah, and they, uh, I love this note. It says that they were, the band of sheriffs were looking both important and rather scared. Well, it's also like self-appointed, like non-police who are just acting. So there's there's like weird militias out here in Oregon who are stopping people and and acting like they're police. So yeah. It's a little bit on the net. It's like, yeah. yeah, I can't help but think of, of the modern times. Again, you know, and maybe that's what Tolkien wanted. He wanted his story to be able to be, you know, pertinent to whatever, whatever time you're in. And even like further down, it says you can, uh, they're talking to like one of the sheriffs and Sam says, you can give it up. Stop sheriffing if it has stopped being a respectable job. It's mm. like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Dang. But yeah, the these sheriffs come and arrest them <laughs> and they say you're arrested for gate breaking and tearing up of rules and, assu- and assaulting gatekeepers and trespassing and sleeping in shire buildings without leave and bribing guards with food and Frodo's like yeah what else <laughs> <laughs> and Sam says I can add more if you'd like it calling your chief names wishing to punch his pimply face and thinking you sheriffs look a lot of tom fools I <laughs> Uh, like once again, Sassy Sam is great. I, you know, I think I dipped into one of your earlier episodes where you uh, were were less kind to Sam. Oh, I was I'm, wondering if your opinion has changed on. I was him. gonna say not really. This is probably the most kind I've been to Sam so far. <laughs> um, I still think he's annoying, and I still think people are insane when they're like, "Sam's the best character," and I'm like, "He's really not. He's he's just another <laughs> Hobbit to me," which I know can sound Last very painful. Yeah, yeah, for a Sam, lot of people to hear. S- Sam's the hero of the story to me. Uh, he's like, <laughs> to me, you know, he's just, yeah. he just happens to have the, the perfect blend of everything. And he's sort of the, the, uh, most reluctant hero, I would say. And he just like performs fabulously. But like, I understand what you mean, especially in the book. He's very, very much in servitude to Frodo, which I, it, it feels a little different. Uh, to yeah. Me. Yeah. Definitely. It's, it, there, the relationship changes much more to one of friendship in the movie, which I think improves it a lot. Okay, cool. Um, it it yeah. still is friendship in the book, but it, it's like built on friendship in, in a way that it's not quite in the book, I think. The other thing, though, that I do like want to make clear that everyone knows that like we are all on the same page that, yes, had Sam not been there, 
Frodo would have died and and Sauron would have taken over and nothing would have been accomplished. Like <laughs> Sam yeah. did everything. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it took, it took a team. It took it took both. I, I, you can't yeah. have just Sam teamwork. Either, I think he, you know you, you needed both. Yeah, and I think we actually mentioned that in our in our episode, just like the idea of the the friendship between these two characters and like what they were able to overcome that neither one of them could have done alone and just like bearing the burden of the ring and everything. Yeah. It makes for, I, I, it makes for a very cool relationship in my opinion. I like it a lot. And, and I give him props for the way that he lets, he lets Frodo like have all the credit and he gives it to him. He's like, yeah, it was all Frodo. He like really underplays like what he did, which uh, it's, I don't know, it's, kind of endearing. yeah yeah for, they're the sheriffs are all like we're gonna arrest you and for they all start laughing and frodo says <laughs> don't be absurd i am going where i please and in my own time and they're basically <laughs> like okay look we're heading to hobbiton if you guys want to come with us i guess we'll let you quote unquote arrest us <laughs> mm-hmm. i particularly like the the moment where frodo they say like just remember I, I we arrested you frodo and he's like oh i will and i hope to one day forgive you for it or something like that um mm-hmm. just this idea of like realizing where they've gone wrong and just the, this idea of these hobbits who were kind of just like you know lackadaisical early in the story seeing them basically stand up to anybody who who confronts them and then saying like i'll remember this because you know like i'll i think i think they realize how how much authority they will have eventually in the in the shire yeah and frodo is definitely in this chapter in particular he's definitely taken on this air of like I don't want to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. Like I come in peace, and the rest of the hobbits are like, "Nah, <laughs> let's kill, <laughs> let's em. kill them all." <laughs> yeah, the idea of Frodo being like done with war and worn out and everything like that, I, I like that as well because it it sort of shows the journey that they've been on and like this pacifist thing, you know, like I, you know, he wants it for the greater good, but ultimately, like they're still fighting to be had. So again, yeah. like it can't help but think about like soldiers coming back from battle and like just like having baggage from that and like the sort of things that they have to go through in coming back to sort of normal life and civilian life. Mm-hmm. That's touching on one of the one of the things that I kept coming back to with this with this series really. I mean, it's thematically consistent. Tolkien believes in a just universe. Yes, and so yeah. he he often proposes like karmic justice will arrive for whoever it is. And so you can have a character like Frodo as being here be sort of like a pacifist and not not think you know anything needs to be done because he he can kind of trust that the universe will make it right um and that's it's like it's both kind of admirable and it's thematically consistent throughout but it's a little bit frustrating for me because it it feels like it's kind of like an easy way out of of just letting letting the universe take care of things and not wanting to get your hands dirty i don't know i I guess i'm conflicted about it personally but within the story yeah yeah um i hadn't really thought about that of like just letting, yeah, letting the universe take care of it because definitely something yeah. insane happens at the end of the chapter. Yeah, I was that, say, that's I'm, exactly I'm bringing that up happens. now so that I can revisit it yeah, as we move perfect. on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sam stops and talks to one of the sheriffs who is a hobbit that they recognize and he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. I just kind of joined in because that's what I thought was supposed to, you know, be good for me, but I don't know how I feel about it now. Sam, that's when Sam says, well, stop being a cop if it's not good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and the this kid or whoever is like, we can't leave, basically. Like, this it's is what we rules. have to do, or else I guess they're going to kill us. Who knows? There are a lot of uh, people who got into being sheriffs 
for the wrong reasons, and now they are kind of <clears throat> abusing their power. Interesting <laughs> uh, <laughs> parallels there. Um, <laughs> and they are also like just making more and more rules now because they all just are like power hungry and want to be the boss of things i guess i also like the sort of uh hierarchy structure that they think they're they're sort of ruling under they they think like the war is still going on and and everything is still going on in the west or the east west in the uh, they think the war is still going on and uh east there we <laughs> in go the east yeah <laughs> So uh, they think that it's still going on. They think Saruman still is has his power. They think that everything's going on. You know, the orcs are still the, the biggest force in Middle-earth. And then just this idea of this power structure being toppled and these people sort of reacting late to it, especially something else that, that I didn't, I don't think I realized upon my first reading th- or even through the movies is um, this idea that like the North men were, were sort of protecting the Shire from outside forces and other men and then having them get called into battle to sort of help out Aragorn at some point in the story. I, can't, I couldn't tell you what chapter, but um, <laughs> yeah. it sort of leaves the Shire open to this, yeah, to exactly. this incoming yeah. force. Yeah, the it's just crazy because and probably probably, um, you know, Sam and Frodo and all of them too thought the same thing as I thought that like the Shire is something that's like untouchable. And Mm -hmm. because in the beginning of Fellowship, it's it would be like unheard of that someone who is not a hobbit is in the Shire. And it's wild to them that Frodo and Sam and Merry and Pippin leave and, and everything like that. And so that definitely gives us impression that the Shire is untouchable and it's really startling to come back and and see that it's very much not and that it's been broken almost mm-hmm. by war. In our coverage, uh, one of the things that I brought up, and I'm going to bring it up here again just so I can get your take on it. Uh, an author we've covered, Ted Chang, I don't think this was his idea, but he was talking about it one time and it really stuck with me about how if you look at fiction, often you can identify more conservative stories and that they have a return to status quo by the end. And then you can see more progressive stories and that the status quo has changed by the end. And it's interesting when you look at that and you look at Lord of the Rings because it, it it doesn't really fit neatly into either camp because while we are returning to a status quo and there's definitely a desire for the st- for the status quo of like Hobbiton that was, it's also kind of out of reach now. And so w- when I think about that sort of division, it's it's kind of difficult to place Lord of the Rings for me and, and try and figure out where it really sits, which is good. You know, yeah. Good. Um, yeah, that's really interesting to think about. Um, I don't know. I think that I think it kind of falls into their... They definitely, you know, they definitely do want to return to the Shire as it was and, you know, just come home and everything's normal again. But I think even then that, like, it's, there can be no return to the status quo after the ring is destroyed because there is you know no more darkness and i think that just that act has so much effect on the entire land that i don't think that you know i think the the shire would have changed one way or another if you know it hadn't changed for the negative i think something else would have changed that made it better or or i don't know but is that symbolically like the way that war affects you too like you bring it home with you and you can never truly be rid of it or something they um there's actually a great I highlighted it somewhere like towards the end where they talk about they they were talking about like oh it's crazy that we brought this darkness and evil back to the shire with us but just speaking like metaphorically of bringing the war back with you 
even though mm-hmm. you've left it and even though it's over, the war is still going to come with you no matter what because of the, you know, effects that it's had on you and your life. But anyway, so they're they're walking towards Hobbiton, making their way downtown, walking fast. They get more of a glimpse of what has been going on. It says there they had their first really painful shock. This was Frodo and Sam's own country, and they found out now that they cared about it more than any other place in the world. Many of the houses that they had known were missing. Their little gardens that used to run down bright to the water's edge were rank with weeds. There was a whole line of the new ugly houses um, and avenues of tr- an avenue of trees had stood there. They were all gone up the road towards Bag End. They saw a tall chimney of brick in the distance. It was pouring out black smoke into the evening air. And I believe this was my first use of the phrase commentary on post-war industrialization (laughs) (laughs) of like Tolkien coming back from war and being like, whoa, a lot has changed. There's been a tremendous advance in technology and I'm not sure I like it. Mm -hmm. So there's the, uh, I I really hope this isn't a movie spoiler. I'm pretty sure it's in the book, but there is a there's the mirror of Galadriel way back when that sort of yes, show, yeah. shows like the Shire and ruins, right? Yeah, which I had totally forgotten about. It, mit- it like very offhandedly mentions at one point Sam being like, and Sam saw what he had seen in the mirror. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I totally forgot what he had seen. So that sort of sh- foreshadowing is, is really interesting too, because it's uh, and like nearing the end with the destruction of the ring, there's the the really powerful conversation that I know we mentioned in our coverage on our podcast, but um, it's sort of the conversation between Frodo and Sam and they're talking about um, going back to the Shire and what it means to them and all of that. And it's interesting with with that conversation and how much we already know it means to them. It takes them actually seeing the destruction and even though it's been foreshadowed, seeing the destruction is is when they finally realize like just how much it means to them and how how they would do anything to get back to that status quo. But it's just not going to be the case here because everything's been destroyed forever. And just the, the, the destruction that's described, the idea of like the party tree and like these amazing trees and gardens and all these things being felled and the idea that like something that grew for such a long time is gone and like how long it would take to bring that back. It's it's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so they arrive in Hobbiton. They come across some thugs, some orc-ish resembling people, they note. Um, mm-hmm. They say that these men mm-hmm. were squint-eyed and sallow-faced. Uh, Sam says, like that friend of Bill Fernie's at Bree. And then Mary says, like many that I saw at Isengard. And I was like, oh, burn. <laughs> They're calling you ugly. <laughs> They're like, all right, let's do this. So these hobbits walk up to these grown, you know, orcish looking men and they're like, get out of here. And Frodo sets them straight. He says, the dark tower has fallen and there is a king in Gondor and Isengard has been destroyed and your precious master is a beggar in the wilderness. And essentially they're like, now get out of here, you bullies. Pippin is basically immediately ready to kill them (laughs) and uh, Sam and Mary are like yeah and Frodo's the one who's like no we're not gonna fight unless we have to and they end up writing them kind of out of town essentially and scare them scare them away for the time being and this is when Frodo starts really showing this uh like air of only wanting to show mercy and no violence and stuff um have you guys seen Avatar The Last Airbender oh yeah big fan I have not He's a big fan. 
He very much reminded me of Aang during the finale when he's mm. like, I can't kill someone with my bending, despite the fact that he's definitely killed people. Yeah, before. how could he not have <laughs> up to <laughs> like that he, point, right? He's, take, he's taken out like dozens of airships. He's at least like, yeah, dropped somebody off a building, like blown yeah. somebody off a building or something at some point, <laughs> crushed him with a rock. And he's like, I've bending. never... It's like Batman. And they don't die unless you like literally see them die. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <Nope>. exactly. <laughs> um, and he very much wants to... To show mercy and no killing unless we are put in danger and they're talking about Lotho uh, the chief and going up to talk to him and Frodo is like I feel bad for him because he's had to he's probably scared and they're like and we need to get up there and save him if possible Pippin's Pippin's has saved Lotho what do you mean destroy him I should say and Frodo says that probably he's just a pawn in this game and that he is not the one actually in charge um which come to find out later on yes that's very true is this where we hear about sharky for the first time yeah the guys who were that they scared off before were talking about this guy named sharky yeah how's that for a nickname yeah Yeah, i wanted to ask you yeah (laughs) what what did you think of that like just initial reaction i was literally just picturing a guy with a shark head i'll be honest like (laughs) the dancing shark from Katy perry's halftime show yeah that or um (laughs) like victor crumb in the movie in the goblet of fire movie when he like transforms his head and that's it yeah. just a guy walking around with a shark head on yeah they're talking about this guy named sharky and frodo says he is probably the real guy in charge and that lotho lotho is a prisoner in bag end now i expect and very frightened we ought to try and rescue him pippin's like seriously we've come all this way just to rescue this guy no way frodo says he's like yeah i mean let's definitely try and take back the shire but I don't want any of us to kill. He says, no hobbit has ever killed another on purpose in the Shire and it is not to begin now. And nobody is to be killed at all if it can be helped. So this was when I first started getting those like Aang in the finale vibes where he's like, I'm not going to kill the Fire Lord and there's bound to be a way for me to kill him. And then he's talking to all of his past lives and they're all like, no, you have to kill him, you idiot. Like if you want this to end, you have to kill him. And I've only had to use violence for necessary defense. And I've certainly never used it to take a life. Avatar Aang, I know that you're a gentle spirit, and the monks have taught you well, but this isn't about you. Did you think Frodo was going to take his bending for a second? <laughs> I, I was thinking of that, and I was like, there's no, you know, random deus ex machina to come in and save the day and come up with a way well, for them to Tom not... Bombadil, Tom Bombadil does <gasps> does could, exist in this story. He could come in and do... Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was trying to think of maybe they could do something to take away Saruman's voice because... Oh, spoiler alert. Oops. oops. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm the only one that knows nothing. Um, <laughs> the vast majority of your of your listeners <laughs> but probably yeah, was... at least read this chapter i would assume <laughs> i know i know um at least they've i hope they've read it i hope they're not like reading it as they're listening to this chapter <laughs> listen to like, a little bit then it's stop, not a very good side by side thing but yeah i was thinking i was like is there some way they could take away his voice and that's yeah. what's gonna happen but i was just getting so annoyed with frodo and i was like just you have to kill some people sometimes okay mary and pippin and even sam sometimes are all on this side of like we sometimes will have to kill people frodo and that might and i'm fine with the idea of like pacifism being a, a philosophy that like a character is gonna stick to but like 
show me the complications that arise from that. Don't find a way to have it both ways, which is what he does here. Yeah, like Frodo gets exactly. to be a pacifist, yet he also gets to have his enemy killed. I just don't personally like that. It's not satisfying to yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. And this is when Mary goes like full on. This is when Lord of the Rings becomes Les Miserables for, for a bit. And I'm like, oh my God, we're going to start a revolution. They get this idea. They're like, well, there's bound to be more of us than there are of them. We just have to get everybody riled up and angry and, you know, lead everyone to, to fight these guys. Mary, yeah, Mary says, raise the Shire now, wake all our people. And they go running around everywhere screaming. They say, awake, awake, fear fire foes, awake, fire foes, awake. They um, run into Farmer Cotton, who I don't remember if we met in Fellowship of the Ring, but <laughs> there were like we a did. lot of people being introduced. <laughs> or he was referenced, so. at least. I don't know if they met him face to face. He's like, oh, thank God. Where have you been? I've been trying to do this the whole, you know, last couple months, but nothing's mm-hmm. happened. He says, um, I've been itching for trouble all this year, but folks wouldn't help. So he's raring to go, but not before we meet. Hmm, who could this be? A possible compulsory heterosexual love interest for Sam? <laughs> it's Rosie. <laughs> um, they, he like literally pops into their house to be like, hi, Mrs. Cotton. Hi, Rosie. All was like something in the back of my brain was like, I think I remember hearing people reference someone named Rosie, like related to Sam somehow or seeing something about Sam's wife or, or whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then there's this moment later on where like, it was like Rosie's eyes shined at, at Sam, and I was like, "Okay, great. So there's his love interest. Perfect. Mm-hmm. They'll get they'll they'll be married in the next chapter." Um, <laughs> and especially if Tolkien does it the way that he did with Arwen and Aragorn in the books, at least where they have oh, yeah. like one glance at each other in Fellowship of the Ring and then the next time they're in the same room they get married Mm -hmm. I went into the books wanting I was like I'm finally excited to get the full story behind Arwen and Aragorn's relationship there is no story (laughs) boy was I disappointed (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah they get uh they get everyone going Sam comes back to the village after seeing his future wife that we don't know yet and says that there were more than a hundred sturdy ho- more than a hundred sturdy hobbits were assembled with axes and heavy hammers and long knives and stout staves, and a few had hunting bows. More were still coming in from outlying farms. Some of the village, I love this line. Some of the village had lit a large fire just to enliven things, and also because <laughs> it was one of the things forbidden by the chief. So I love that they're like, yeah. "Oh, let's make this more fun." <laughs> yeah, they're like. This is a fun time. Let's do all of the illegal things that we're not allowed to do, like have a bonfire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I like, uh, I think Mary has the, he's the one who's doing all the badass stuff. He's like oh, getting yeah. his, is it, it's Mary, right? Not, not, it Mary and Pippin get up them. to it. So, so Mary, I think Mary's the one who's like getting his, uh, no, maybe it is. I don't, I don't remember who it is in this <laughs> chapter, but one of the two, they go and like get their family together and they start blowing the horn. And I, I like the idea of the horn of, it's it's just a horn of Gondor, I believe. I think and, it's Mary because I okay. think, um, oh my God, so many characters. What are their names? Faramir. I think Faramir and Eowyn gave, no, not Faramir. Yeah. Eomer <laughs> <laughs> and Eowyn gave Mary. I think the Horn of Gondor, because he like served in their army, basically. Right. 
as like a a token of thanks. Yeah, I think I think that was it. So yeah, uh, yeah, and I think that that is it, you know it's symbolic, but how powerful it is. It's like it rallies all these hobbits. They haven't heard anything like it. It's the, like the you know it's the most rich sort of horn they've ever heard like war horn or whatever um and just this idea it's just a horn from men but because of its sort of legacy and everything it means mm. like people who hear it can tell that it's an important call to action so it's cool to to think about like the sort of things that you know swords and things that are important within tolkien's world that maybe weren't magical but then you know became became involved in legendary moments and became magical in a way i i feel like i've been a little bit critical of tolkien and i was in our coverage too but uh i'll give him props here there's something i really like and that the the way these characters have changed from their experiences is they've they've gained a strength that they're able to bring back to their home and they're able to rally the people around yeah. them mm-hmm. and they wouldn't be capable of doing this if they hadn't left their their sort yeah. of safety of home yeah. and gone out and, and lived life and experienced people and, and different things outside their their you know usual frame of mind and uh, there's a strength in that that they attain yeah because they like all of the hobbits and everyone who lives in the shire have unfortunately become kind of complacent to this and the four of them have been out in the world and they see what the world is like post sauron and they see that like there is goodness coming and that aragorn is gonna apparently magically fix everything they throw that around a lot they're like don't worry we have a new king and i'm like aragorn has a long to-do list by now but (laughs) okay um it's kind of like it's that metaphor of like if you if there's like a frog in a pot of water and you slowly turn the heat up it'll die but if you just all of a sudden drop a frog in like boiling hot water it'll jump out and that's mm-hmm. what's happening now is the four of these hobbits have come back and they're like, what are y'all doing? Like, let's do something about this. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they have like the energy to to revitalize everyone in the Shire and do this. Yeah. I love this moment talking about they're talking about the Tooks and mm-hmm. how Cotton is saying, oh, well, some of their men have shot at us. And Mary says, there you are, Frodo. I knew we should have to fight. Well, they started the killing. And Cotton says, not exactly. <laughs> Took started that. You see, your dad, Mr. Peregrine, he's never had no truck with this Lotho, Lotho, not from the beginning, so that if anyone was going to play chief at this time of day, it would be the right thing of the Shire and no upstart. And so basically, come to find out, the Tooks just went shooting around and they they <laughs> shot first and this was when i don't have you guys seen the meme of it's like a book that's really thick and it's the first book is like lord of the rings and then the second one is really skinny and small and it's uh lord of the rings if pippin had a gun and i stand by this <laughs> statement that like <laughs> granted they're talking that, they're awesome. talking about like bows and arrows shooting not like guns but like this just affirms that belief I I want to say one of my favorite one of my favorite Lord of the Rings memes if we're bringing that up. There's and this is to go back to my Sam love. Uh, there's a picture of the whole Fellowship and it's like the Fellowship at a hundred percent. And then they, and then it's everybody. It's just Sam standing there and it's like the Fellowship at ninety nine percent. Ninety nine percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, some of these orcs men whatever come back with more of them. And they come like sauntering in and they're like, yeah, we own this place. And then 
they realize, it says, they were surrounded. In the dark on the edge of the firelight stood a ring of hobbits that had crept out of the shadows. There was nearly 200 of them all holding some weapon. And that's, like, really creepy. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, like, very evocative of, like, a horror movie scene where, like, Mm -hmm. it's dark, there's just a bonfire lighting everything, and then you're like in the you're by the fire and then all of a sudden you look around and it's almost like a cult <laughs> and there are just all these hobbits standing there. Well, it's basically an ambush, right? Because Farmer Cotton yeah. is sort of like the bait and then they surround him and they're like talking trash to him and then he's like, oh, really? And then all the hobbits come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, you and what army? <laughs> and then he's like, this army. All that it takes to win this little battle is there's one guy who kind of runs, tries to like run away and... Uh, tries to hit Mary, who is in the way. And it says, he fell dead with four arrows in him. That was enough for the others they gave in. And they drop their weapons and either, you know, they, they get tied up and, and let off. And I was like, I wow. Think that he was... tries to attack Mary, right? Yeah, yeah. He goes yeah. to hit him and Mary like blocks him from leaving. And that's when these hobbits are very protective because mm-hmm. that's all it takes for people to to shoot him and he dies. And that's that's what makes they like win this little battle, non-battle, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. <laughs> And then they, like, decide to rest for the night. This is when, I like this, it says, The Cottons asked a few polite questions about their travels, but hardly listened to their their answers. They were Mm -hmm. far more concerned with events in the Shire. So I just love, oh, and then later, yeah, later on, Sam comes back. Yeah, Sam comes in with his dad, too. And his dad is like, ah, it's about time you showed up from what, you know, you just went gallivanting off in Middle Earth from what Sam said. I don't know why, like what possible reason could have led you to do that. But we're having some trouble here. I don't know if you've noticed. And I just think it's hilarious that like for these hobbits, they're like, yeah, 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 Sauron, end of all good things things whatever oh you destroyed a ring cool whatever okay but we have to deal with this gang of of thugs trying to take over the shire <laughs> and that's yeah. their yeah. priority and, and that's why you can't just reduce tolkien to saying that he just loves like rural you know britain and is in sort of you know touting them as the way because they're they're often portrayed as being out of touch and kind of ignorant and at the start of this book it it, it was very much like all of their attitudes were don't bother with the trouble outside of the Shire and it won't bother us here and everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. And uh, we're, we're shown that that is not true. Like it has come, the trouble has come home. You can't just sort of bury your head in the sand as much as people want mm-hmm. to. Farmer Cotton also fills them in on kind of what happened and how it got to be where they are. They've taken to calling uh, Lotho Pimple, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. And they mention that he started out he like started out having one plot of land and then he wanted more um and then he would buy this and that it's uh he brought a oh he took sandy man's mill and again another like commentary on industrialization he brought in a lot of dirty looking men to build a bigger one and fill it up and fill it full of wheels and outlandish contraptions so tolkien doesn't like factories (laughs) Well, he also doesn't like CEOs coming in and buying everything up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then that's when they start talking about how Sharky is really kind of the one in charge Mm -hmm. and that Lotho doesn't have any idea about what's going on, really. I just want to touch in and like, I'm curious, where were you at right now reading this? Like, were you expecting this, all this drama to be playing out when we returned to the Shire? I was shocked. I was, that's why I was just so, I was just so surprised by this chapter because I was like, this Mm -hmm. is like... This really feels like a, like I said, it felt like a short story because I was mm-hmm. like, a lot, <laughs> a lot's <laughs> happening here, Tolkien buddy. Like, I appreciate on one hand that, like, they didn't just come home and it's magically all okay and they can go back to their, you know, happy lives in Hobbiton um, and that there is, you know, uh, there is evidence that things have changed, you know, not just them, their home has changed and that they can't just come back in and expect everything to be the same. But I didn't, I don't know if Tolkien needed to be like this heavy handed with it. I think, (laughs) I think it would have been fine if like they come back and maybe there are a couple random like factories polluting the rivers and that there are some thugs who are, mean but i don't think they needed this like whole shire takeover it's just like it's a lot to do and handle when you when you essentially ended the book five chapters ago you Mm. know it's it's weird (laughs) well it's weird story pacing for sure it it feels like an epilogue on an epilogue it's yeah like it's almost this sectioned out separate story it's like it's like each chapter could have easily just been appendices each chapter after the true ending if 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 you want to call it that like around the time that like maybe like aragorn was crowned king you know the ring had been destroyed everything like that and then everything beyond that could have been appendices but i think he just really wanted to explore more of this world because most of it was like the journey getting there um and then once once you come back you have a chance to sort of look at like how the world has been changed yeah um so i guess i appreciate it for that but i mean i definitely agree it might have been tolkien sort of being overzealous and and like self-indulgent in some in some cases like sort of just wanting to explore what's going on after the rings destroyed Mm -hmm. it just occurred to me that the name of his first book is the hobbit or there and back again mm-hmm. he has to show the yeah, back again <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah the return to the status quo is very important to him i think and and the more i think about it it's like this is almost just a representative of like you need to fight for the status quo because ultimately we are restoring we're attempting to restore what was back to its like former state yeah um, and mm-hmm. th- the reason that, that this is discussed is because the status quo is well and good if you're a member of society who the status quo benefited. If you're not, then a return to the status quo is not a desirable outcome. And so we see here that it is returning to a, to a place that benefits all those who were sort of held up by the Shire. But those who weren't, I don't know. And we, we don't really deal with yeah. that. The other thing, as we will see in a couple pages, is that Tolkien just does not let a sing. He will refuse to let there be a single loose thread. Mm-hmm. Like in his mind, he's like, people are going to pull my book apart if I don't show Legolas and Gimli going to the glittering caves together because they <laughs> promised that they would do that in yeah. two towers. Someone is going to rip apart One day my people book. are going to make a podcast where they do an episode on exactly. every chapter. <laughs> <laughs> and like a part of me is kind of bummed out about this because part of what's fun about Harry Potter for example is the speculation because there because like jkr despite being a terrible person whatever is also a human <laughs> yep. like a normal human who d- who isn't like tolkien and she didn't go in and fill in every single detail 
And so that's why it's fun to speculate and be like, oh, well, how does one send a howler? Do you open, is it like you you open an envelope and just scream into it and then, you know, tap it with your wand? Like, those kinds of things are fun, but you can't really do that too much with Lord of the Rings because Tolkien somewhere would have answered any questions you have. So there is also a big debate about this with writers, and it's similar to the hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi debate. Um, and it's usually classified as hard fantasy versus soft fantasy. And, you know, Harry Potter is more of a soft fantasy. And it's, mm-hmm, it's right. you know, a lot of a lot of things aren't defined. A lot of things don't make logical sense. Um, and you can look, uh, there's, there's a, a video essay on YouTube about this. I cannot remember the channel name, um, but it's really good. I think it's called like hard, hard fantasy versus soft fantasy in Studio Ghibli. I want to say, and it talks about like Spirited Away and, and and Lord of the Rings and some others, and definitely Lord of the Rings is that hard fantasy. Tolkien set out to provide answers to everything for the most part, even though his magic system is a little more loose. It, it's still like, yeah, the idea of like every loose thread is going to be tied back in um, versus letting things be more ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And what's funny about that, though, is that meanwhile, he created probably the most ambiguous character in fiction there is, Tom Bombadil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and like, that's the part that he's like, nah, I'm just going to let that, I'm going to let, Tom Bombadil isn't a loose thread. He is like an entire separate ball of yarn that hasn't been made into anything. <laughs> yeah. I think he smoked some Hobbit weed when he came up with that character. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, Uh, The next day, there is another round of, as they have referred to them the whole time, ruffians. They start coming towards uh, Bywater Road, and they are stopped. It says, at the moment, they became aware. Oh, wait, yeah. Yeah, so they're stopped because there are all these farm carts that have been upturned. And like I said, they went like full Les Mis. They built a barricade. (laughs) (laughs) To the barricade! And they stop them, and this is when they realize that they're surrounded. It says, at the moment, they became aware that the hedges on both sides, just above their heads, were all lined with hobbits. (laughs) They attack, there's a battle, some hobbits die, it's very sad. 19 hobbits die, 70 ruffians die. Yeah, and uh, it notes that Mary himself slew the leader. They eventually win and are able to convince, you know, like, hey, let's stop fighting so we don't have to kill all of you. And so ended the Battle of Bywater, 1419, the last battle fought in the Shire, which was funny to me because I, for a second, was like, have there even ever been battles in the Shire? (laughs) Like, it doesn't seem like a place that has had... um... I think we heard about one other one at some point. Yeah, it says... Probably in the appendices, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. It says the only battle since the Greenfields, uh, 1147, away up by the North Farthing. So it sounds like they don't have a lot of a lot of battles. Yeah, not very many. <laughs> and it talks about how Shire historians will talk about the people in this battle. And it says, but at the top of the roll, in all accounts, stand the names of Captains Mariadoc and Peregrine. That's mm-hmm. so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and this this ties into what I was saying about this being sort of the as we're wrapping up the Shire story, right? Because we're almost getting a historian's perspective about it, like this weird like we're going to zoom out to the future when we are talking about this in history books, which is interesting. Whenever he does this as a writer, I, don't mm-hmm. know, I find it interesting because you don't see that a lot these days. It's not a very common uh, style. Of yeah, writing. yeah. It's also just like so funny, like Captains Marriott and Peregrine. <laughs> 
Like, who yeah, would I can't have, you know, the badasses. <laughs> yeah, I can't help but like envision them like a, at least a foot taller than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. they're high. They're right, like yeah, roided it up to... on their in watch. <laughs> I wanted to read that. Let me go back and find the quote because it's it's like really funny. Um, when they were first going to enter the Shire and they like got stopped, the way that like they were able to get someone to like let them stay with them is because they were kind of afraid. Everyone was kind of afraid of. Frodo and Sam and Mary and Pippin, and it says, and two of them uncommonly large and strong looking. And that's just so mm-hmm. funny because, like, if they had only known that they, you know, two months ago, they were the smallest people in a crowd and that, like, the Fellowship had Aragorn, this new king. They had Gandalf and Legolas and Gimli, you know, if they had only known. It's just so funny. Mary and yeah. Pippin, like... They just crack well, me up. We talked about on our coverage how I personally feel like Tolkien is at his best when he is sort of really digging into these like common folk who were get swept up in, in things that are larger than themselves. And he's he's likening that to the, the soldiers from the World Wars, I think, that he served with. And a lot of those characters tend to shine the brightest, I think. And, and Merry and Pippin are the epitome of that, right? Like they've they were just just random guys and they got swept up in this and then they've been transformed by their experiences. Man, yeah, they were just there at like yeah. <laughs> the right times basically <laughs> yeah and that's a cool message it's like anybody can become like a hero of legend yeah. essentially mm-hmm. and, yeah. and they're they're also like not they, they almost hindered the fellowship at times too you know? oh 100 <laughs> are you kidding me so, full of a took throw yourself at you know do that again what, what does it say so you know throw your i will throw you in next time yeah. Yeah. throw yourself it. in next time i think he says yeah, yeah. And, and and then not to mention like the palantir and like there's many many oh. times oh, yeah. <laughs> again that was pippin maybe yeah. it was just mostly pippin let's be honest <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so they work their way back towards Bag End and they find a great brick building straddling the stream, which it fouled with a steaming and stinking outflow all along the Bywater Road. Every tree had been felled. And then uh, Sam says they've cut down the party tree. He pointed to where the tree had stood under which Bilbo had made his farewell speech. It was lying lopped and dead in the field. And it's like, now you've really done it. Our favorite <laughs> tree. What would Treebeard say? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was, he would take a long time to say yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, that's very <laughs> true. Yeah, exactly. You can, def- you can definitely see Tolkien... Um, I know, like, the counterculture sort of picked up on this story and, and wanted to make it their own. And I don't I don't think that he, like, loved that idea. I, I think I've heard, at least. I don't know a ton yeah, about no, that. Yeah, he, no, he wasn't. But, a uh, it, but. I mean, th- he's at least interested in the same things as they were. You know, like, this idea of, like, an imp- a tree being important, you know what I mean? Something like mm-hmm. that has, yeah. it. not only does it hold the value of what it does, you know, for breathing and things like that but like the value of like what it means to be older than people older than people that are alive and what what you know what what it's worth to the world and just having it cut down for no reason yeah well and yeah i mean the the wanton destruction of trees and the environment is you know a a key uh factor of sharky's personality (laughs) (laughs) speaking of which so they go into bag end and they're like, where's Lotho? Where did he go? Oh, wait, that's right. Yeah. So they walk in and Sam says, this is worse than Mordor. Much worse mm-hmm. in a way. It comes home to you, as they say, because it is home and you remember it before it was all ruined. And 
they're, you know, they're speaking here about like Mordor and, you know, Bag End and the Shire being remembered differently than how it is appearing now. But like, this is very much, you know, representative of what it's like to come home from war with like traumatic experiences and PTSD of it comes yeah. home to you, as they say, because it is home and you remember, you remember it before it was all ruined and you want to go you want to go back to how your life was like before, but you've been changed and your, you know, life has been adjusted in a way that you can't go back. I mean, his home has been desecrated, right? It's been yeah. destroyed and, and it's filthy now. And um, yeah, to, to bring it all the way to Bag End, you know, it's not just it's not just the Shire. It's not just Hobbiton. It is his very house. <laughs> yeah, it feels very, it definitely feels very personal. Right. Yeah. Did you expect that coming to this Um. Chapter? I think so. I, I feel like I probably expect it once they were talking about um, because Frodo had left Bag End to the Saxville Bag Ends. And then once I f- eventually figured out that Lotho was a Saxville Bag Ends. Oh, we completely glossed over. We got to go back. Um, <laughs> when they're talking with the Cottons about like how everything came to be, they mention. So they say, why, they even took Pimple's old ma, that Lobelia, and he was fond of her, if no one else. And at one point, they cut these ruffians start coming up to Bag End to put up some sheds for Sharky. Lobelia yells at them. She says, I'll give you Sharky, you dirty thieving ruffians, says she, <laughs> and ups with her umbrella and goes for the leader near twice her size. So they took her, dragged her off to the lock holes at her age too. They've took others. We miss more, but there's no denying she showed more spirit than most. And this is a very surprising moment. But at the same time, I'm very upset that she wasn't trying to attack them with the spoons that Bilbo left her. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like a lot of these like most sort of grumpy, like ill-tempered folk of the Shire that we met early on, like a lot of them end up being the ones who fight back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was just like a really fun moment. For, to to yeah. hear about Lobelia, even being like, wow, even Lo- I guess that you know, it's just a sign of like that's how far gone the Shire is from how it once was. That even the like cranky old people are like, get out of here. This is our like. We may hate it here, and we're allowed to talk crap <laughs> about life here, but it's not okay when you do it. You know, you mm-hmm. get out of here. <laughs> It's like they were already the most resistant to change too. So they were already like, you know, telling kids to get off their lawn and stuff like that. And then, and then this happens. So of course they're going to basically take up arms and be the only ones to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. So jumping back, yeah, back to where we were, um, they're in Bag End and talking, they're like, where's Lotho? What's happened? Blah, blah, blah. Mary says, let's get out. If I had known all the mischief he had caused, I should have stuffed my pouch down Saruman's throat. Weird thing to say, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! I didn't even think about it like that. (laughs) Oh boy, that's funny. Okay, um, anyway, and then like, out of the shadows, a voice emerges. No doubt, no doubt, but you did not, and so I am able to welcome you home. There standing at the door was Saruman himself, looking well-fed and well-pleased. His eyes gleamed with malice and amusement. I, like, screamed. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) oh my god! It was a true plot twist for me, because I, I truly thought that when we... I think it was two chapters ago. It was like Gandalf and the Hobbits, I think, and maybe like a couple other people were with them still. And they come across Saruman and Wormtongue and they're like, 
haggard and about to die, basically, and like homeless and crawling off on their own and refusing to accept help. I just truly thought, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's the last of Saruman. Okay, he's just going to crawl off and wither away and die somewhere. Because I thought the whole point, because in the last couple episodes with a lot of my guests, I've talked about how Tolkien really seems to, he like doubles down on this theme of mercy and showing mercy Mm -hmm. and like taking pity on someone. And when someone shows mercy on someone else they're usually rewarded in some way cosmically yeah yeah and then so i thought that like oh by having saruman turn down this sign of mercy that he would be punished for that and he would just you know go somewhere and wither away and die turns out he showed up in the shire (laughs) and nursed himself back to health And I was just like, that. that's just wild. Like, just, again, Tolkien not letting there be a single loose thread. He's like, if you didn't watch this character die in front of your eyes, they are still alive. You can best <laughs> believe it. Yeah, so Saruman's here. And I let, he's so, he's sassy too. It says, a sudden light broke on Frodo. Sharky, he cried. Saruman laughed. So you have heard the name, have you? <laughs> Saruman's here. He's behind everything. It says, there's a little asterisk. It says, um, because he says that, oh yeah, the they started calling me that in Isengard, probably a sign of affection. And then there's a little note at the bottom of my book. It says, it was probably orcish in origin, Sharku, old man. Um, also, I like how the note says it was probably orcish. Like Tolkien didn't write this. <laughs> like he yeah, didn't, no. you know, this is write the, it what, to Bilbo say. Bilbo probably wrote this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. The the fact that Saruman through the entire series has always been his power has always been words. The fact that like this this sort of conflict comes down to a battle of words because uh, like you I you know the first time I can remember reading this I was I was surprised by it and you just can't you know that the hobbits can't contend with power from someone like Saruman and then to see him in like this diminished form and then they're gonna have to face him and ultimately they're able to they're able to sort of battle him outsmarting him and using their words and sort of realizing that his words can't have an effect on you if you if you like don't let them kind of it just goes to show like they're they're contending with like a ancient sorcerer at this point yeah Mm -hmm. i was genuinely worried honestly i was like oh no (laughs) i don't know how i feel about this because when gandalf leaves them at the end of the previous chapter he's like you've learned all that you need to do you're ready for this and i am no longer needed you can handle all the problems that the shire is gonna throw at you and then when saruman shows up i was like "Uh oh (laughs) i don't know about that gandalf gandalf (laughs) luke and i have mentioned many times uh in our in our coverage of lord of the rings how like gandalf is this sort of safety blanket he's he's the 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 thing where if he's around you feel like nothing bad can happen exactly Um, so like pulling that away from them and having them actually deal with saruman at the end is I, i think a really cool interesting yeah, sort of last battle. Yeah, and he, I pointed out in, in you know in our, in our episodes, I feel like Saruman is the most present antagonist throughout the series. He's the one that we hear from and we encounter, and is more yeah. of a character. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know Saruman's just more of a force. You know, <laughs> like yeah, we, we like we just never hear about see... him. He's a tower. We don't ever yeah, we don't ever see him. Right. Yeah, so exactly. It's interesting that he he this is like the final confrontation with the antagonist here at the end, and he sneaks it into like this denouement where you think we're all done. It's kind of like this, like, surprise. It was literally like, surprise! It's (laughs) me! Surprise, bitch. I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. (laughs) 
Um, I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. And this is when Frodo really like doubles down on his avatar Aang, I'm not going to kill anyone with my bending thing. Yeah. He tells Saruman to leave and go. And as he, which I was amazed, first of all, that Saruman was like, okay, <laughs> bye. Um, and he like starts walking out. And as he's walking out, everyone is screaming, um, don't let him go, kill him. He's a villain and a murderer, kill him. And Frodo is like, no, do not kill him. We will let him go in peace. And again, <laughs> and Frodo- that worked out really well last time. <laughs> Honestly. See, this is when I was like, okay, I'm sorry, Frodo, but this is when it's time for Avatar Kiyoshi to come in and be like, <laughs> you gotta end this. You gotta kill him. Only justice will bring peace. And yeah. Kiyoshi's a badass, by the way. She's the best. Yeah. She like she she said no justice, no peace before any of us even <laughs> thought that phrase. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so he I was just like, Frodo, dude, so I know that you're really trying to like stick and same with like Tolkien being like, Tolkien, I know you're really trying to stick to this theme of showing mercy, but like let's we gotta yeah. make an exception here because this is just a problem that's gonna keep coming back. <laughs> the only way to do something about it is to either imprison him, which kind of worked until Treebeard was like, Yeah, I guess you can go. Or kill him. <laughs> so then Saruman calls for worm tongue. And I was like, how are you still alive, bro? I thought you'd be dead for sure. Wormtongue. Man. Um, and it's like, come on, Wormtongue, let's go. And as they're going to leave, it says, but even as Saruman passed close to Frodo, a knife flashed in his hand and he stabbed swiftly. The blade turned on the hidden mail coat and snapped. And Everyone is like, oh, he f***ed up. We're going to murder this bitch. (laughs) And again, Frodo, God, annoying, says, do not kill him even now, for he has not hurt me. And in any case, I do not wish him to be slain in this evil mood. He was was great once of a noble kind that we should not dare to raise our hands against. He has fallen and his cure is beyond us, but I would still spare him in the hope that he may find it. This is very Christ-like stuff to me. Like, this is is Frodo being... Being very like uh, a full on Christian, turn the other cheek, you know, yeah. and then it'll all be made right by the universe, I guess. And also like this idea that like Saruman hasn't, you know, he's fallen far and he's corrupted and sure we have zero idea how to fix it, but that doesn't mean that he still can't, you know, figure that on on himself and that he doesn't deserve to turn his life around or whatever. Let's make sure he has that chance to to make those decisions for himself. And Saruman's mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, f- you, because now you showed me mercy, and now I have to not kill you. How dare you? Because we all know villains are totally shamed by these sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, how dare oh, you? Oh, you got me. <laughs> it's like a sort of an old, old style way of thinking, right? Like I've been bested. My honor has been has been sullied, so I must now, you yeah. know, go live the rest of my life in 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 isolation or something and like that's never actually going to happen you know it was just always sort of a i don't know weird yeah like light versus dark it's almost like they don't give a when you shame them because they have no shame yeah Yeah. so they're like get out of here but worm tongue you can stay if you want you you know it's not like you've done anything evil sarman's like um uh you think 
guess what? He murdered Lotho in his sleep. And he says, buried him, I hope. The worm has been very hungry lately. And I'm like, oh my god, did he (laughs) eat him? (laughs) (laughs) Worm tongue is pissed at Saruman. He's Mm -hmm. like, you told me to do those things. How dare you? And Saruman's like, oh, what does it matter to you? You're going to listen to me no matter what I say. And then Mm -hmm. the most amazing thing happens. (laughs) A lot (laughs) happens at once. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. But at that, something snapped. Suddenly, Wormtongue rose up, drawing a hidden knife. And then with a snarl like a dog, he sprang on Saruman's back, jerked his head back, cut his throat, and with a yell, ran off down the lane. Before Frodo could recover or speak a word, three hobbit bows twanged and Wormtongue fell dead. And Mm. I was like... Yeah, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that karmic justice. Exactly. I mean, it's his own. It's his own. Un- he's his own undoing, right? His own mm-hmm. evil led to you know this happening. You know, yeah. he can't. He can't help himself. He has to turn on even those who supported him, and yeah. then he gets his own comeuppance um, throughout the course of the story. You know, due to his, I don't know, his own evilness. So I don't, it's thematically consistent. I find it a little bit frustrating personally, but I, people like it. I guess I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, I don't hate it. Yeah, I, I kind of like for the story, it fits. You know, I, I definitely feel like that's the case here. Um, the worm tongue dying is sort of just a reaction to him killing Saruman. But it's interesting because he's Frodo's like, don't kill Saruman. And then Saruman is killed. And then they killed the other guy. Anyway, they kill worm tongue anyway, where Frodo was kind of extending an olive branch to him at one point in the in the chapter. He was saying, like, stay with us. You don't need to go with Saruman. Well, there's also a weird thing where it's like there's three arrows kill him. And earlier, I think there's another the, one of the ruffians get killed by multiple arrows. And it feels like he's saying, like, because there was more than one arrow, nobody is really at fault. It was kind of just mob justice. <laughs> like, yeah. don't worry yeah. about who actually fired them. It's okay. They didn't. They didn't really. No one of them even murdered him. It was just kind of. He just kind of died. <laughs> it just happened. It just yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely like totally understand what you were saying earlier about like how the universe will just take care of things if you just Mm -hmm. let it be and i totally see how that comes into here you know play here and it's it can be really frustrating to just be like oh yeah it all works out it all balances out that being said though i was just so glad that like oh my god thank you we killed him and we don't have (laughs) to go through some like long chapter about like and then saruman like crawled off somewhere and died in a ditch where no one (sighs) knew who he he was and he got buried with a bunch of commoners in a mass grave the end you know or something you know wh- <laughs> well like, i mean you haven't finished the last chapter i would yet. like to see frodo have to, to i would have liked to see frodo have to make the decision but he would have lost his like christ-like aura i guess but yeah like yeah frodo decided like actually we're gonna kill this guy <laughs> that's, <laughs> that what, I think that's that's what i thought was gonna happen when darn that you know dwarf mail coat that Bilbo gave to him that protected <laughs> him. Thrill. But like, that's what I thought was going to happen is that Frodo is that he was going to, you know, when uh, Saruman goes to stab him is that Frodo was going to get stabbed and he was just going to, that's when he was going to be like, okay, you attacked me first. I mm-hmm. will now kill you. And like, that was going to be his thing as he would have been justified going to kill him. Yeah. A hundred percent. But. The whole karmic thing for Frodo is is like he's done. He's so done with with the violence, with the conflict, with all of the stuff that he can't he can't even kill this person who's like clearly attacked him. Mm-hmm. And yet, I feel like he's earned it in a way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's been through yeah. he had been through so much as a character that that had sort of like humble beginnings to go on and do all those things. So like I, I'm willing to forgive sort of what what seemingly is 
a you know neatly tied bow here at the end where Frodo doesn't have to be the person to like get his hands dirty. But I do agree that it is kind of more interesting if mm-hmm. he does, if he if he did do it, and we're left with. But again, that brings up sort of ambiguity within the character where I think he's trying to shut the book on that. Yeah, it, he, this is consistent with the story he's trying to tell because yeah. Tolkien believes in a in a universe where good will prevail and a just universe, and in a just universe, like karma will come back and get your enemy and that's a comforting idea and i think that's one he's trying to like put out there with his books and i think that's why a lot of people find these to be super comforting reads yeah. because mm-hmm. you can feel like no matter how much darkness there out there is out there like the light will prevail because that's just the way the universe mm-hmm. works it also just it comes full how we were talking about in the beginning of the episode all of this coming full circle <laughs> there's lots of circles here it's a story uh-huh. about a ring <laughs> yeah <laughs> um This comes full circle with the story that Gandalf was telling Frodo in the start of Fellowship about how the ring came to be and how Gollum came to get the ring and everything. And he talks about how Bilbo had the chance to kill Gollum, but instead he let Gollum go. And Frodo is horrified that Bilbo just let him go and that he didn't kill him. And Gandalf is like, no, you don't understand. That was, you know, showing mercy to Gollum and not killing him was the strongest bravest thing that Bilbo could have done and it makes him like a better person for it and that's the greatest thing that you can show another person now it's come full circle of Frodo having every reason to kill someone and is still saying no we are not going to kill him but he died anyway woo yay (laughs) (laughs) um his body does this like gross thing that kind of reminds me of the terrible way that they killed Voldemort in the movies where he just like turns into confetti and that's not at all what I've already gone and probably like several different episodes talked about how much I hate how they killed Voldemort in the Harry Potter movie, but whatever. I mean, it didn't even look good for the time. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a weird effect to choose. It was just that in the book, they made a specific like reference to Tom Riddle's body hit the ground and they carried him away from the other people that they loved and bo- and then nope in the movies they're like nah he's gonna turn into a pinata for no reason mm-hmm. at all anyway so Sarma there's a gray mist that gathers around him mm-hmm. I guess it's like this effect of all of the like magic and power that he had in his body or something is is like withering away all of the things that were keeping him alive are gone now and the like skin sinks in basically to his skull and Frodo just like covers it up and walks away (laughs) (laughs) and Sam says and that's the end of that a nasty end and I wish I needn't have seen it but it's good riddance and I really hope this is a this is I don't think it was but I really hope this next line was Tolkien being like self-aware it says and the very last end of the war I hope the very last end I hope as if He's like, look, I understand. I've had 20 different endings. And I know that at this time, you were also thinking the very last end of this book, I hope. <laughs> and that like, we're just going to end it now. And they're like, wow, what a crazy, what a crazy time that was. I can't believe it. And Sam says, I shan't call it the end till we've cleared up this mess. And that'll take a lot of time and work, which is very, yeah, once again, just like very real to real life of 
It's not, you know, you show up and wave a wand and everything's happy. There's a lot of time and energy and effort and work that you have to put in when things have fallen apart to putting them back together so that it's, you know, strong and beautiful again. Woo! All right, so that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> Was there anything close. that we uh, glossed over or missed that you guys wanted to bring up or mention uh, about the chapter? I just wanted to get your take on like what it's been like, and this is kind of just on the on a podcast whole sort of perspective, but like what it has been like to read this as granularly as you have been, like really diving into every single chapter. Like, what has that experience been like reading these yeah. books? I'm just curious. Yeah. In some respects, it's been very annoying because. I don't know. It's hard because I think sometimes I'm like, I might have enjoyed the the books a lot more if I could have just sat down and read them. But at the same time, I don't think I would have made it far into fellowship. I think I would have just stopped if I hadn't been reading it one chapter at a time for a podcast, you know, and doing a doing <laughs> mm-hmm. a chapter discussion. If I like didn't have something forcing me to read this, I don't think I would have read them. And it's like the greatest fantasy ever told, essentially. And so I, I am very glad to have read it. And, and is that because of like Tolkien's style and his pacing? Like, yeah. What, what was throwing you um, off? Um, well, there was just, like, there was just some chapters where sometimes I would be like, oh my God, nothing happened in this chapter. What a waste of my time. I just want to get to a point where stuff is happening. And so those mm-hmm. were the moments mm-hmm. where like, I just wanted to move on to the next chapter. We're like, okay, I think the action picks up again now. I have one question that I think that I think I remember there being a chapter that's like one page long at some point in this series. Is that the case? Do you remember? <sighs> I can't remember if there was one that was one page, but there I don't think so. There has been there's definitely like one or two chapters that are like three pages long. And that's okay. it. Yeah, so how was that sure. like sort of tackling that? The so the problem is that for fellowship and when I was first starting out the podcast, there were a couple chapters that I combined into episodes. I shouldn't have done this because now I'm, you know, I'm basically done with the book. And I'm like, oh, I should have the podcast for me now is like, oh, I should have dragged that out. <laughs> I should have, <laughs> you know, done them one chapter, one episode. But there were in that mix, there was one chapter in the start of Fellowship where literally all that happens is they show up to um, like Crick Hollow and Frodo is like, hey, I have this evil ring. And Mary and Pippin and Sam are all like, yeah, we know. <laughs> and that that's all that happens. <laughs> and yeah. like that would have been a really boring episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm glad that like I combined it with some other chapters to make it more interesting. But it, it's hard, especially because like I didn't know what was coming. So the like biggest mistake I made was I combined the chapter where Gandalf dies in Moria and then the chapter that follows it. And that was a huge mistake. Had I known that Gandalf was going to die in that chapter, I would have just done that chapter. But like, yeah, it was fairly short. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to combine it with the next one. No worries. But (laughs) Mm. so you made the decision before you read it. Yeah. And like, that's what's so hard is I can't I have to like with the (laughs) scheduling, I have to have my guests lined up and be like, hey, we're going to read this chapter. The struggle is real. (laughs) We've encountered some similar stuff in ours. It's so hard. And there there really was no good way to do it because I did also like I had some, you know, guests and friends who have come on and I've texted them and been like, you know, I'm about to do this chapter. Can you say without giving away much? Like, is this a chapter that I should just do by itself? Should I combine it with something else? Should I have someone on who really loves Sam as like a, (laughs) you know, counterpoint or whatever? (laughs) And it's hard because so, for example, the chapter where 
Eowyn kills the Witch King. Um, yeah. The guest who came on for that, Valerie, who's very lovely and I love her. She was like, hey, just a, a heads up. I hadn't even been planning for that chapter yet. She was like, you might want to have a female guest on for this chapter. And I immediately yeah, knew that something big happened with Eowyn just by that <laughs> small comment, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. also a huge commentary on like how little Tolkien does with his female characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that one thing gave it away. So anyway, sorry, that was like a totally long answer to your question. But... <laughs> it's okay. I, I mean, I was curious about it. And I wanted to know, does your did your opinion of like Tolkien's writing and his style and his pacing like did that change over time or do you did you feel pretty consistently about it Man. Um, or ha- has, have you warmed to it I guess I'm de- I'm definitely like used uh, like as I read it I got used to it and I could kind of like expect what you know where he was going with things and how he was going to do it I could kind of expect like oh, okay when he mentions this kind of a thing I can expect this to happen later on for example in the chapter many partings when they go to Isengard and Treebeard is like oh yeah I let Saruman go but I'm sure it'll be fine I immediately was like, no, we're going to find we're going to find Saruman again. And then yeah. sure enough, you flip the page and there he is crawling on a road somewhere. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So like I kind of got I was able to like pick up on his writing style and be able to tell like when he was going to do something. I definitely like still like almost basically at the end of the book. I'm super annoyed with how he paced the book because his pacing is yeah. all over the place. He spends so much time doing nothing in Fellowship mm-hmm. of the Ring. And then Two Towers, so fast-paced for the first half. And then the second half, when it's just Frodo and Sam and Gollum in Mordor, it's, like, terrible. And then mm-hmm. Return of the King is great action-packed. And then you have, especially the chapter Mini Partings, was so fast-paced because all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're saying bye to 20 characters, and yet we still have 100 pages left before we end the book. Like, it's all over the place. But, like, that being said, I kind of, I kind of, like, got... I just kind of had to accept that mm-hmm. he's he's all over the place, but it definitely did give me a lot of appreciation for his writing style and and there are there are a lot of points where it's like, wow, hey Tolkien, you're a good writer. <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah. those were some good words you put down on the page. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so many quotable things. You know, I, I like that you read all the quotes you do because a lot of a lot of the language just really speaks for itself. Yeah, like that's that's just the other thing is that there are so many things that he writes that like I would never be able to say it better than he did and so that's Mm -hmm. like one of the main reasons why i read so many quotes from each of the chapters is to make sure that people are like hearing what tolkien's words were if they're not reading along with me so very cool those were like cool questions i like it's fun (laughs) it's like fun to like reflect back on a lot of these things now so all right cool so uh what would you guys like to share with the audience and where can they find you on the internet uh so we are on all major podcast apps uh, ink to film um, and that is ink to film we also have a website ink and you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at ink to film on all three um, we just covered um, we're actually in the middle of covering i'm thinking of ending things by ian reed which has also been made into a netflix oh, movie yeah. by charlie kaufman which, i've heard like, it's got, wild man it's it is <laughs> wild the book was wild we haven't talked we haven't um 
recorded our episode on the film yet, which I'm excited to do. We did The Princess Bride a little bit ago. If you're really into, you know, old fantasy, that's a, a cool one you could check out. Yeah, we like to we like to talk about the story, but also break down like the form and the intentions of the author and both mediums and like what it means to adapt something and change it and make it your own while also like mm-hmm. staying true to the spirit of the original material. And mm-hmm. it can get it can get pretty uh pretty intense but it's a lot of fun like I I really enjoy doing it as far as recommendations I've been reading through Saga recently which is a comic that I've neglected to read for like five six seven years now that everybody's been raving about right Um, yeah yeah I've heard of this too yeah it's really good so far and I'm not I'm not that far at all and I have been watching the boys because it just came out on Amazon I'm I'm like halfway through season two right now and it's different it's different than season one I'm I'm enjoying it I don't know if I recommend it yet but it's it's fun to watch on Amazon cool yeah and Luke do you have anything to recommend that you're enjoying it's funny I just watched all of the Mission Impossible movies with my wife (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hadn't seen the most recent two i think and she hadn't seen any of them and so we decided to go back and start from the beginning i don't know if i'd recommend those movies either (laughs) (laughs) for right now in the quarantine we just wanted like some mindless action a lot of the early ones really don't hold up um but you get to some (laughs) of the later ones and they're they're pretty fun um you get to see some cool stunts and so uh they're good like quarantine like the world is stressing me out right now and i just need Mm -hmm. to release kind of movies yeah Um, so yeah we had fun yeah we all need a little more of those lately (laughs) That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBNE.org, where you will find all of our shows, such as Bacon and Eggs. Howdy, Yokes. I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Hill, And we host Bacon and Eggs, a movie lover's podcast. It's the most roll-your-eyes-I've-seen-it-before concept for a show, but with new hosts, I promise. Each week, we sit down together and watch a beloved movie. We start by looking at some critical and concrete points and let our conversation flow from there. We've covered all sorts of movies, from Jaws to Little Women. From the Lego Movie to the Lego Movie 2. From Marvel to Star Wars. From Back to the Future to Back to the Future Part 2. And tangents from our frustrations with fast food to discussing our fear of the Mighty Loon. So if you want a podcast that makes you laugh, download Bacon and Eggs, a movie lover's podcast. With new episodes available every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, and now on WBNE.org. Ghostbusters 2! I, I, my, my hope and dream was that you would say that. The cover art is by Graphite, aka Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsApp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. And and you can support the podcast by becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to peruse all the different tiers and perks, um, whatever your financial situation is. And this week's sponsor is Dana. Dana, thank you so much for being a continued supporter of the podcast. I very much appreciate your support, especially now as I'm nearing the end of Return of the King. It's crazy to think that this like first part of the, the Lord of the Rings journey is coming to an end, but I'm excited for, for everyone to come along on, on the next part when... In a couple, in a few short weeks, that's so insane. A few short weeks, we're going to start covering the movies. It's very exciting. A couple weeks ago, the discussion question was, what is the saddest goodbye in fiction? Taylor in Discord said Gus's funeral in The Fault in Our Stars. I'm assuming you're talking about the one where Hazel and Isaac are invited and they both give their speeches and she gives the our little infinity thing. Ugh, getcha. Mm. On Instagram, Carissa said Corey Monteith on Glee. That's a rough episode. The quarterback, all my Gleeks know what I'm talking about. A couple people said from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the episode called The Body, I believe, um, is what you're referring to. I've never seen Buffy, but the fact that 
several people said this. Um, Obviously, it's a traumatic episode for you. And then many people said Rose and the doctor. So I'm very sorry for all this pain that I've caused you all to have to relive. This week's discussion question is, what is your favorite like the little guy takes a stand and stands up and fights back kind of a moment in fiction. Um, Much like with the hobbits deciding like enough is enough and they're going to take back the Shire. And now for that special announcement that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Now, I've never done this kind of thing before. It could blow up in my face and it might go disastrously wrong. But it's also 2020, so what have I got to lose? I was thinking of ways to buffer and kind of separate the book episodes and the movie episodes, give us all a little bit of a break without actually taking a break. And I reached out to my former guests and asked them to record their reactions to recording with a total Lord of the Rings noob. And I told them to tell me all of the stupid things I said and all of the things they wished they could have told me and the times that they almost spoiled me. And it's really exciting to get to hear their reactions, but I also want to hear your reactions. I want to hear you tell me about all the times you were screaming at me in your car for hating on Sam or the time when you were like, oh my God, I can't believe she just predicted Return of the King by comparing it to Holes. I want to hear your reactions to this podcast. So here's how you can be a part of this episode too. Record your thoughts and feelings on listening to me experience Lord of the Rings for the first time. Recording should be between one and two minutes, roughly, give or take a couple seconds. And please, in the format of an MP3 or a WAV file, that makes things much easier for me. And once you are done with your recording, send it to tolkienaboutpod at gmail.com. That should be easy to remember because it's the same as the Twitter handle and the Instagram handle, which I know you are for sure definitely following. If your file for some reason is too big and it's having trouble sending as an email, you can also add it to Google Drive and share the file with tolkienaboutpod at gmail.com. And lastly, this is important. If you want your recording to be included, you need to share it with me by October 1st. That date should be easy to remember because it's the official start of spook season. But I mean, honestly, like... That's not to say that it hasn't been spook season all of 2020. So, you know. So, yeah, those are the logistics. I'm excited to hear your reactions because aside from, like, seeing your tweets or your comments on our Facebook group or something, I don't really know exactly what you guys have been thinking this whole time because you've been holding back in case you spoil something. So I'm really excited to hear from you. All right, cool. All that being said, do you guys have any parting words for the audience? Thank you for listening. And and, and thank you, Mary Clay, for having us on. We really appreciate that you reached out to us. It was a lot of fun to revisit Tolkien for me because I, uh, you know, it was was kind of bittersweet when we finished this project. It was one of our longest. And it's nice. It's always nice to go back to Middle Earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I I guess my parting words are thank you as well. But also, I'm really looking forward to your uh, reaction to the films because yes. I, I really want to know how you feel about all of the things that you spent all of these weeks and weeks and weeks le- like reading up on and I'm excited to see how you think it was adapted. Oh man, you and me both. <laughs> At the end of our coverage of it, we even come down on, we, I won't tell you what we decided, but we, we force ourselves to pick whether we thought the books or the movie were better, something we've been doing this year for all adaptations. So um, yeah, maybe ask yourself that question when you, when you finish it up, like what's the better version of the story? It's a, it's a tough one to answer. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.